I want you to meet Chris Knight. Chris, this is my assistant, Sherry Nugel. Nice meet you. And this is Mike Dodd. Dr. Dodd. The one who just designed our brand new telecom satellite. It's an honor to meet you, sir. Telecom. Isn't that the satellite that's raining debris all over Europe? Why is that toy on your head? Because if I wear it anywhere else, it chafes. I'm sorry. It, it's just that I didn't want you guys to think I was stuck. In, you know, no fun. All brain, no penis. <laughs> Pardon me? I, I'm sorry. It's, it's just an infantile response to authority. Yes, you are Chris Knight, aren't you? I hope so. I'm wearing his underwear. Episode 162 of the Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook and like us, the Cult of Matt and Mark, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Show news, uh, this very beautiful, warm day here in Seattle, Mr. Hudson. Oh, man, it is nice out. Yeah. I heard yeah. it's going to rain here before too long, though, which is so much because I really Oh, God damn it. My that motorcycle. Means I'm have to... Though I did finally crash it this week. First, what? First time for everything, huh? That is show news. Do tell. Oh no! I just uh, didn't. Somebody came out of the came at some pedestrian came at me in a parking lot, and I grabbed too much of the front brake and fell over. Really? Skidded a couple hey, of feet. Any injuries? I, wait, I may have rebroken that stress fracture in my foot. My foot's been really, really sore. Though the bike sort of landed on my foot. Ooh. So, but the bike seemed to be all right. Just scratched up a little bit. I was pretty pleased. Well, I'm glad that didn't happen at 60 miles an hour. That yeah, me too. A different that, scenario. That totally suck. Oh. Well, I uh, willfully injured myself today. No, I didn't injure. I knew what I was doing. I uh, carried uh, 1,200 pounds of play sand into a, a, a sandbox today from uh, the car and bags. And uh, I think I did something to my back. Feels a little funky. Well, how, how big were the bags? Fifty pounds, but mm. there's like twenty four of them. You know, so it's kind of an assembly line thing. Yeah, that's sort of. Well, I mean, and it, I guess you probably didn't weren't able to get your neighbor to help you out, right? Uh no. Yeah, you probably wanted to break no. that up into two days. I'm afraid. Yeah. But no, uh, how is a uh, place sand very reasonably priced these days? That's almost uh, something you want to get delivered. Yeah, you think, right? Could, could you well, not like get Amazon Prime to do a same day on yeah, twenty four right. bags yeah. of place sand? Yeah, some some dude in a shitty Corolla, mm-hmm. you know, like weighed down to the shocks, like <laughs> swerving down the street, you know, and coming up to your doorstep, getting paid minimum wage to load fifty pounds of sand at your door. It's the American dream. Yeah, no, I, I, you know what? It was sort of an incremental thing. I didn't want to get uh, too much sand or too little sand, so I wanted just right, and so I did the bags. Plus, I had a gift card to Lowe's. Uh, so I kind of tapped that out. Well, you and, know, uh, I think I'm glad you're getting back into um, your sand sculpture hobby. Well, it's been a long time coming. I, well, it was either that or chainsaw art, and uh, you know, look, you know passions. how that ended last time, huh? So let's not. Yeah, I know exactly. That. Yeah, that's why I walk with a limp and uh, have to write with my left hand. You have that peg leg. Yeah, it's fucked up. So anyway, that was my day. Nothing really too exciting. Oh, and then I got the. Uh, we, when when you when you have a young toddler, they get fevers a lot, and so uh, they wake up in the middle of the night with like super high fevers, and it's always like a fucking panic. So that was my morning. Well, you and, know what you uh, do? 
keep a bag of that plane stand in the freezer and then just pack them in it when they're getting oh, too hot. Oh, good idea. Good idea. I didn't Pro think tip. of it. Well, I didn't Pro have the plane stand. Well, you just don't have yeah. the experience I have. I got, I got yeah. years and years of child-rearing experience. I know. My, Mark runs a daycare. Nobody believes it, but uh, he does. Well, nobody's seen the children for months, so there could be a, you know, Look, could be a question there. Just trying to maximize my profits. I know. Well, it's in this economy. Right. Look, yeah, you know, um, ISIS, they pay the highest dollar value. What am I supposed to do? For child care? Sure. Yeah, I don't think they – yeah, they, I, I figure that ISIS, when they drop the kids off, you know, for a day of beheading, they're probably not too, you know, stringent upon, like, the all no, no, I don't snacks think you, and – I don't think you understand you they're know. my subcontractor. Oh, you're subbing out to I'm, them. Yeah, I'm like oh. – it's sort of like a weird uh, Halliburton. It's like a vacation Bible camp, but for young jihadists, you get them, you get them off, and get them, you know. The graduation ceremony is a blast. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, do, do, do you trot out all the uh, out, out of your enemies for for the uh, young recruits to be ahead, or is it a, you know? No, it's more else? like literally a blast. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. <laughs> Well, that is our boogeyman of the era, isn't it, uh, ISIS? You know. Oh, I thought you were talking about Halliburton. Oh well, okay. Well, that's my bogeyman, but uh, I don't know for, yeah, for all just, of us. Just, just a second. Did you say bogeyman? Isn't that how you say it? You say boogeyman, Maybe but it there's... sounds. But it's spelled like bogey, B O G E Y. I what the I, fuck that is, is that mean? I wonder. I wonder if there's a. A variation in the pronunciation of uh, well, what the boogeyman. fuck does what does bogey boogie mean? Well, I've always seen I mean, it spelled boogeyman with two O's, not bogeyman. Yeah, I know, but but every other man has a a prefix that makes sense to us, like fireman, policeman. You know, we understand the the nature of their their vocation. So I'm but sorry, bogey, you're saying that bogey is something that exists and boogie is not something that exists i don't know how it's pronounced for starters but i don't know what the fuck bogey boogie is it's like it's like that uh, exciting music where you start shaking your rump is that what that is i don't think that's where it started (laughs) i'm totally confused i have no idea man i use it without understanding like when i say oh yeah so and so is on the lamb that's another turn of phrase you know Comedians do whole bits on this shit, but uh, there's a few things that stick in my craw, uh, language-wise, and and like uh, the whole on the lamb thing. What is like, what's, what's wrong f- with being on the lamb? Is that I don't know what mean? the fight. We say it, but we don't really have a word. We don't know what it means. Well, I you mean, know, it's, it's I, I, a, I, be, we know exactly what it means. It means you're running from the law. No, no, no. You skipped out on your bail, or you've skipped out on your parole officer, or something. Literally, what is. On the lamb. Well, look, if it was one word without any, it was just, it was called on the lamb. Would you question mm. what that word meant? Or you just go, that's how we, that's how language works. We have these random letters and sounds that go together. That's, uh, it's old English. It's old, it's old English for skipping town. On the lamb. Yeah. There we go. Okay. You, you got me. It's a uh, old English, uh, whatever. It's probably, that's probably more closer to the truth anyway. So. Hmm. All right. Well, we diverge or, uh, yeah, transgress or well, let's whatever. Let's converge into the story today. All right. So uh, our movie this week is the uh, continuing our summer of funny, which is Mark's idea. And I'm sort of uh, getting on the bandwagon, at least for this turn. 
is uh, 1985 Real Genius, directed by Martha Coolidge, who you say does not have a vast catalog of film. Uh, um, no. I'm looking at it now. Oh, she has that like short 80s haircut, sort of that Nagel hair going on. Interesting. I've never seen uh, her before. I'm looking at her movies, and I don't recognize a goddamn one of them. A lot of yeah, TV. Just uh, real genius. It is It is strange. Lost in Yonkers, which was a Neil Simon play. I didn't know they made a movie. And the Ramblin' Rose. Nothing worth mention. Oh, she did Valley Girl. Is that good? Holy shit. Valley Girl is a great movie. Oh, wow. It was like a sleeper classic. It was... Um, Starring actually one of the women in Real Genius, the uh, oh the daughter of the general that uh, Hathaway hooks up with. Hmm. Remember the one that mm-hmm. asked Val Kimmer if he can like nail a six inch nail into a piece of wood with his penis. Mm. Anyway, she's in she's in Valley Girl, and she's pretty hot. No, seriously, listen. If there's ever anything I can do for you, or more to the point, to you, you let me know, okay? Can you hammer a six-inch spike through a board with your penis? Not right now. A girl's got to have her standards. Yeah, that's the chick. Yeah. She's pretty hot. Pretty hot, man. I, I have never been confronted with that kind of uh, audacity. Yet I don't have the boyish good looks of Val Kilmer in the 80s either. So, mm-hmm. Well, I anyway. could say that I could uh, – I maybe couldn't drive a spike in, but I could do some you know, experimental docking if she's interested in seeing that. Sure. <laughs> But none of that Jim Rose stuff. Mm. No. I could All drive right. a six inch nail through my penis. Yeah. See that's with kind a, of with a, another yeah. person that has a unusually erect penis. That's now, the that, uh, that, now that'd be something you'd want to see. That's the nineties version of that phrase. That's extreme homoeroticism. Oh man. All right. Uh you know, there's a bunch of plot rundowns and I, I, I couldn't find one I like, so I'm gonna do the shortest one possible. Mm-hmm. Cool with you. Uh, teenage geniuses deal with their abilities while developing a laser. So, all, all while learning a valuable lesson around, about doing the right thing in life. Uh, which, uh, at the end of this movie, I figured they'd all be thrown in jail. Oh, I, no, I, no. It was, they, look, they really, they really uh, threw the door wide open on this military-industrial complex. Yeah. I think we've seen the last right. of that. <laughs> well, the, 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 the true horror of the laser that they were developing for a space-based platform was the fact that it would only kill a single human being. I was like, oh, the horror, you know. I mean, if if somebody told me that the uh, laser I had built in a, in a lab at a, at a um, university funded partially by the military-industrial complex via grants said that they might be using what I made uh, as a weapon mm-hmm. to kill a single person at a time, yeah, I'd be like, "Well, man, got out of that one cheap," you know. Well, I mean, look, conscious wise, I mean, there was no other way for them to kill people remotely, or even that. at all, right? I mean, it's just not possible to kill somebody from the air. I mean, <laughs> they figured it out. They blew. They 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 cracked it. They cracked it in this movie, and that I mean, they got to be standing there like uh, Oppenheimer, going, "What what have we wreaked? I know upon this I know. earth." <clears throat> That's right. Uh, a quote from the Bhagavad Gita, or whatever that line is from Oppenheimer. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think I watched this back when I was uh, a young physics student, and mm. uh, 
uh, thought it was funnier in hell. It is funnier than hell in, in certain aspects. Well, I should ask you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Did you find Real Genius funny? I totally wanted to fuck Jordan. That's all I got to say. And I forgot about it. As a as a adolescent boy, I was very attracted to her. And I, and I, and I recalled that. Uh, and I went, oh, that's interesting. And I didn't remember that Mitch and Jordan get it on in this movie. I had, right. I had forgotten that plot point entirely. You know, I might have only seen this on TV, and I think they may have cut out the sex subplot. Uh, so I may have never well, seen this version. Jordan, I, I guess what would pass for a Asperger's uh nineteen year old girl. Yeah. Without without actually inserting the diagnosis into the film, which is fine. You know, back in the day we used to just call people hyperactive or odd, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to giving them some clinical diagnosis. You mean it's uh, a it's a pretty good poll for Mitch, considering Jordan's age at when this movie was released, was 23. Whoa. And the actor playing Mitch, I think, was 15. Whoa, so he, he was, was only 15. I think 15. Mitch was actually playing his age. The, and uh, Really? And the Jordan uh, actress was playing younger, which I thought was sort of... He has that, that pubescent voice, so... You look like a real dopey kid. Ah, uh, a real and, dopey kid. Yeah. And yeah. I guess, I, you know, I, I had forgotten, but I had seen him in another movie, that a movie I've seen multiple times that I really, really? like, is Apollo 13. What? And he plays one of the, the NASA engineers. Uh, I really? I don't know exactly where I see him. I think he was one of the control guys, the control room guys. I haven't seen a picture of him. Like, I'm, I'm clicking on his page. Oh, um, all right. He's shaped up nice. Uh, there's some picture that's i think that's a younger picture on imdb he's gotten a bit okay. jolly since that picture was well taken. we all get a little jolly but i think for mitch being a little jolly uh help probably helps a little bit i would think no right? no i think he i think he grew up to you know be a reasonably normal looking guy he was certainly a dorky looking kid oh uh, yeah no i i'm always yeah oh there's one he sort of grew thing. into his nose a little bit yeah no gabriel Jarrett. he looks fine I, I I I say that uh, in all masculine sincerity. He's and, like, uh, oh god, what what actor does he remember? the guy from Mad Men? What is his name? Oh, plays the uh, main fuck character. man, in John Mad Hamm. Man. Yeah, he sort of looks like John Hamm's brother, who's not as yeah, good yeah. That's, that's a good call. That is interesting. So, uh, but but Jordan nineteen in the film, mm-hmm. as per the film, and Mitch fifteen. So yeah. technically, Jordan be going to the clink. Uh, fucking no. Mitch. Come on, man. No, man. That's the way it goes. We can't. We got to have. No, no, no. What you do is you get there. And you no go, double you standards. Go, no, no. What you do is you go. Nice. <laughs> double. Nice. No double standards in our society. <laughs> None. That is statutory rape. Jordan's going to the claim. No, actually, I think the funny thing about that is the movie actually addresses that um, because when uh, Sherry Nugel comes by. Uh, the night that uh, uh, the romance between Mitch and Jordan occurs, she comes by to bed uh, Mitch yes. uh, for two reasons. First, she's got this fascination with very smart men, young men. Yeah, she fucking likes smart have, dudes. She likes to have sex with them, which is cool. Right. And uh, also, she's been Improbable, she's, but cool. But she's been waiting for him to turn 16. Oh. Remember, she says that. It's finally, I've been waiting for two years, she says. Oh. Finally, it's legal. So I think it, I think though they don't actually say it in the film. I think he had just turned sixteen, okay. which would make it, uh, I guess, legitimate in whatever state they're in. California, I didn't know that. All right, well, never mind then. 
here I thought there was some uh, yeah. Uh, well, you put your put your pitchforks back in the shed there, Matthew. I'm sure oh, there'll be somebody else it. you could take them out for. All right. I wanted to I wanted to get out my feminist claws and go to town on this film, but uh, I guess I won't. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, she is hot. Uh, Jordan played by Michelle Myrink. I, I haven't seen a picture. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, her I'm not familiar with the actress. She's in a she long look, time. I don't know how much she's worked. She's done bit this and that. Oh, she, there she is with a little longer hair, looking a little bit better. All these pictures are ancient. Like there's a picture from her from 1982 with Tom Cruise. What the fuck is that about? Uh, anyway. All right. So uh, let's get to the heart of it. Uh, montages. Lots montage. of great montages. That's the heart Do you have any montage film. music? There was some good uh, good 80s music. I didn't uh, I didn't grab any of the montage music, but uh, I think uh, were there just were there just three montages or were there four? There was the studying montage. There was the, well, there was the class montage. Yeah, that's the first one. And then where was the... The laser, laser uh, working montage. montage, and then there was the popcorn uh, preparation montage. I think it's just oh. it's just a three montage film. Do you uh, do you take issue with montages in film? No, Is I just a... I just like to see them. You don't see them as much as you used to. I think it's more of an eighties thing. It still exists yeah, wh- in some movies, but uh, I think it's I think it's a fine thing. It's a nice little mu- it's sort of an interlude. I, I think goes, I think wh- it's a nice um, a nice uh, maybe underused element of storytelling it goes well with like an 80s synth pop beat you know at least in this film mm-hmm. maybe that's just because that's where the montages occurred but you're right you don't see the montage anymore it's it's uh what happened i think did, it's did, just, i think it's just sort of passe did afi drop the montage class in the curriculum, I'm wondering, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that somebody, some auteur will come along and revive the montage, oh. probably in television, and we'll start seeing it like crazy. You're right. I do miss the montage. Now now, now you're making me nostalgic uh, for, for the days of old. Well, look, I got the 18 box set on Blu-ray. Come on up. We'll okay. montage it up. There's a montage <laughs> every episode when they uh, take steel from somewhere and put it on their van. And then I guess they take the steel back off their van at the end. Yeah, I'm pretty. Well, the gas can almost you just kill them. Kill I was them never budget. an A team fan, but I can almost I, I can I can envision that you almost require a montage. They pretty much put a gat a, a, like a, a, a armored Gatling turret on top of their on top of their van every week. Every week, yeah. They just like they put a fresh they, one up there. God damn, we need another one. It's just not straight so, legal when when it's on there, so you can't leave it up and. Head on down the the I five, you know the CHP would be all over you. Uh, yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, real genius was my choice, and I think it was my choice because there was sort of these waves of science comedies. Uh, There's only really like three or four in the eighties. Like weird science comes to mind, um, mm. and uh, kind of that moment where where being sort of a science nerd was cool, but only like in sort of 80s comedies and uh i think this for me tried to portray and there's there's many gaps in its reality uh sort of a i guess more of a a serious not serious but legit portrayal of of college students in science and um, I, I, I mean in, in i guess in a certain in sense the that- day- well, in my day, I thought that the truth. Watching it again, I've, I've changed my mind. Well, there is one scene that I consider great 
uh, science mumbo jumbo in this oh, movie. Oh, really? And I'm, I'm going to play a little bit for you. Then I want right. you to tear it apart because I can't. Okay. It is possible to synthesize excited bromide in an argon matrix. Yes, it's an eczema frozen in its excited state. Th- that's impossible. It's a chemical laser, but in solid, not gaseous form. Put simply, in deference to you, Kent, it's like lasing a stick of dynamite. As soon as we apply a field, we couple to a state that is radiatively coupled to the ground state. I figure we can extract at least 10 to the 21st photons per cubic centimeter, which will give one kilojoule per cubic centimeter at 600 nanometers, or one megajoule per liter. How about that for some awesome mumbo jumbo? Actually, it's, it's pretty fucking good. Yeah. I, I, you know, the problem is I, I, I don't think that's I enough have, photons. 10 to the 21st. It must be f- per some uh, unit of time. Right? I, I, I didn't catch the volume he was quoting. Mm, per cubic uh, centimeter. So let me, let me just start. My, my laser's knowledge. What's an eczema, Matthew? Uh, an eczema. Do you want me to Google it? Uh, oh, an eczema is I a. I thought uh, you might know off the top of your head. I didn't Google it. Fuck, I, it sounds no, I familiar. Eczema is that know. like a is that like a spot in something that lasers that is excitable? Okay, uh, an eczema laser, uh, sometimes mm. more correctly called an esoplex laser, mm. is a form of ultraviolet laser which is commonly used in the production of microelectronic devices, semiconductors, integrated circuit chips, eye surgery, and micro machining. Mm. So it's, it's a type of laser uh, that looks like it do, does lithography. Mm. And it use its uh, UV. Well, they which... they were they were at six hundred nanometers. No, that's not UV. Oh, hold it. That's 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 infrared. That's down. That's yeah. yeah that's the that's, wrong that's way. down there. Yeah, you're, you're right. going the other direction. Uh, eczema. I I think it's just a type of. It sounds like it's a UV laser, which would be great for lithography because mm-hmm. you could get smaller. But mm-hmm. I don't. I, he said he called something just an eczema. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe that's when eczema laser is uh, is named after some property. Okay, so let me, let me just let me just start. A little lasers knowledge for for our listeners to bore them and get them to tune out. Um, you can laze anything, and when I say laze, excite anything coherently in order to produce make a laser out of it. I want to make a that, laser out of my penis. You can. We can make a laser out of Mark's penis. It may require. <laughs> how, about the, how will the tissue deal? It may require severing Mark's penis and then uh, <laughs> freezing. Kind it? of it. Well, I wouldn't even say that. I would say turn like kind of breaking it down chemically into like. Well, a, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm just going to stick to sounding myself with a with a pen laser. Uh, that'll that might, <laughs> that'll make an interesting YouTube video. <laughs> I, Do it, man. God knows it's probably on. What is that? Uh, the break? No, not break. Uh, viral. Viral. There's like some sort of viral video site where shit like that goes on. Dark alley of the uh, yeah. internet somewhere. With, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we could find it because it, it sounds pretty cool. You could do like a send up of the Borg thing from yeah. Star Trek Next Generation where like uh, Lacutius would be looking at the camera and the laser, the little cheapo red laser would be flashing, but with the whip, but with an erect penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. A new Star Trek next generation porn parody. Oh yeah. shit. Uh, where were we? Oh, I was trying to, I was trying to regurgitate some old, uh, yeah, you can make anything lays. You can make anything lays. So that part of it is a little bit silly. Um, the, um, I mean, laser, 
I don't want to get into lasers, but I would say that there's enough mumbo jumbo in what he was <laughs> describing to pass even even my like ignore it, not pick it apart level of of understanding. I would have to have freshly taken a lasers class to just laugh it off. But yeah, I, but that wasn't a great piece of Hollywood. Mumbo no, they jumbo. they, Some they of the got best. well, they got a hold. Of somebody who knew something. I think and there there was a they had a scientific advisor from like Caltech. Yeah, that and, probably and, wrote that. And and I think it, I think it was fine. I think it worked, and mm-hmm. and it was high level enough that uh, nobody could really question it. Mm-hmm. So uh, and he drew some like hokey little um, you know uh, little energy curve with 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 a on a whiteboard and drew a line. Yeah, to Yeah, he's like coupling something to a ground state. I thought that sounded pretty good in my book. Yeah, good enough. And you know, that's the whole thing about lasers is is you try to get what they call a population inversion, mm-hmm. which is you excite enough electrons into these higher states so they get forced then, down into a lower And state. then you get an emission or a photon mm-hmm. when it when 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 the state uh um decays. Uh, like decays and then that little photon goes along and hits another molecule or atom or whatever. And then it says, "Hey, let's let, let's head out and go party." And so then that electron drops, and both of the photons are coherent, which means that they're in phase, mm-hmm. and they just keep doing that until they until they amplify up to a certain level, and then you get a big bright spot on the then wall. Then you burn a hole so. through the through the head of a. Well, uh, the statue. one thing you know, the one thing I did pick apart uh-huh. was um, the Your safety. No, not the laser itself. Well, the safety, but the, not the laser itself, but the fact that they uh, took a piece of hardware that was maybe at a technical readiness level of two mm-hmm. and then put it onto a B1 test platform, making it, pushing it up to like a technical readiness level of around seven well, with, in, they in did, about 12 they did, hours. They did fabricate that prototype overnight, by the way. Yeah, overnight. Uh, they already installed it into a uh, some sort of a test mm-hmm. kit into the in, into the uh, uh, I guess the asset, which would be the B one B, and uh, we're already firing that bitch like in twelve hours. Look, neither of us know anything about military contracting, but no, I would guess this is how it norm- this is how it normally happens. Yeah, although I would say because it's about on- efficiency, man. They just. They just they ride uh, they ride by the seat of their pants in the military. There's no red tape or anything. You put anything you want on any piece of hardware, and they're happy about it, more or less. Uh, and it can burn the fuck out of uh, you know uh, <laughs> a, a, a multi million dollar flying piece of military hardware. The thing I like about it is when Professor Jerry Hathaway is at the testing facility. He's like. What, you're not putting this on a spaceship? You're testing it in the atmosphere? Yeah, how dare it's you? Like, wow, you guys how are, you dare really you don't just... trust that my slave labor undergraduate students. Yeah, project. undergraduates, not even a graduate student. <laughs> These undergraduates, uh, this prototype that they knocked out in one night. Yeah, right. Uh, after they blew up our previous laser, you're not putting yeah. it on a spacecraft. I cannot believe it. What the fuck is wrong with you? And why and why don't you just have a launch window just sitting there for me until I get this right? Oh, that just cracks me I up. Know. I did like how the <laughs> oh god the military stuff just cracks me up. Here's a here's a little uh, scene from uh, uh, we had a little bit of a briefing at the start of the movie, and I, I think this is probably pretty typical of military uh, project briefings. 
I guess I'm just going to have to push a little harder then, huh? Just as long as we have a working weapon by the end of June. Right, General? I wouldn't know, Dave. I haven't had a working weapon since Korea. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, was a good... I like that beginning scene. That's a pretty funny had, bit. It was very uh, strange Lovian, uh-huh. I thought. Yeah. And how the consequences for not delivering or being on program were some sort of, uh, you know, um, unspecified uh, consequence of, like, you got a sense of, like, CIA being wiped, wiping somebody off the map or something to that degree. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they were going to they're going to liquidate the black. Yeah, guy. they're going to liquidate him. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's usually the way it goes after you give sort of a shitty briefing. Uh, 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 I just do love, I love the timetable on this weapons platform. That just does crack me up. By the end of June. Oh man. You know, one thing that this movie did get right, if they didn't get military contracting work right, uh, which I think they maybe are a little off, maybe a little optimistic. A little, a little optimistic. (laughs) Uh, Is the way that, I mean, it doesn't really work for undergraduates, but the way that science in academia is really done, it's, it's really built off the back of, 20 year old very 20 smart 20 year olds working long right. hours well the whole okay. the whole infrastructure it all works on basically basically i mean it's 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 a horrible pyramid scheme that just is all about sapping the hard energy of the energy of these young people and that's just right. how the research works it's i mean yeah you, you got like a a professor and you know the people that are really, you know, doing the heavy lifting are, are like 25-year-olds. They're smart 25-year-olds, and they're motivated. But that's, the, you know, those are the workhorses of science. So it's interesting that, I, okay, so watching this this film, it's weird that what they did was they took an undergraduate experience. Mm-hmm. They took a graduate experience, and they made it an undergraduate experience. Well, I think, it, it, I think that I, I'm sure. I was like, why did they do that? In, in the, why did they do that? Well, I think it simplifies it for people. I don't. I think Joe, every everybody, he understands the idea of going to college after high school, but I don't yeah. think he understands the world of graduate school. That's a little bit more of a a rarefied air that a lot of people. I mean, you went to graduate school. I work with graduate students all the time, and you know, it's a it's very everyday experience for us. For a lot of people, they don't see graduate school or know a lot of people who work. Have been to graduate school. I think that that may be the reason to make it more familiar, mm-hmm. uh, because it definitely was what you were seeing. Besides, like the dorm thing, graduate students don't live in dorms. Yeah, they well, could they could have aged everybody right. four years. Had Mitch be a nineteen year old guy graduating from undergrad and being yeah and being uh you know going to some hotshot polytechnic institute, or or like take like. You know, getting his degree in a year or two, his undergraduate, and going on to graduate school. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. I mean, that happens. Yeah, and maybe happening to live in a a dorm full of undergraduates, you know, something of that nature. Oh, I mean, you could just have them live in a house together or something. Or maybe, you know, with graduate students, a lot of times they just put them up somewhere in some shitty... Or, or, Or a lot of times they'll just have like a, you know, like a big house that like six or eight graduate students from the same department run mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. That's pretty common. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just strange that they, they compacted it. They, they, they slid it into an undergraduate experience. Yeah, I think it was just simplified. I think it might have yeah, made more sense, though, with Mitch, too, because God, 15 would be tough to go into that sort of high pressure. I'm sure there's 15-year-olds that do stuff like that, uh, but it'd be it's yeah. pretty unusual. Well, the interesting thing is that 
I was another interesting thing is when you hear about child geniuses every now and then there'll be like some you know uh good morning america bit on on some little you know overworked usually indian or chinese uh american child mm-hmm. who uh is you know going to med school at age 11 you know the whole doogie, doogie yeah, but i mean they're thing. smart and they've been driven but the thing is is that you never get that with with like physics where you need uh, a certain je ne sais quoi other than what you get as sort of a medical doctor. Well, I mean, they're uh, two different things. I mean, medicine's more of a technical science. It's not really... Uh, well, it's a practice science, mm-hmm. I would say. It's not a... Uh, uh, what would you it's call a, it? A, well, there's just so much theory work in physics. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you need some academic maturity. Not maybe a whole lot. Uh, age-wise, but you need a little bit more under your belt. I mean, there, there's, you know, I would say that if there was a physics genius, they would be manifesting by age 19 or 20, not 15. Well, yeah, they do have enough time to get the mathematical background together, yeah, even if they hard. absorb it very quickly. It's hard. But, yeah, no, I sort of bought that in, in the movie. I was like, yeah, it's, I, I get it, but it just seemed a little odd, you know. And, I didn't uh, think he needed to be that young, but, well. yeah. So, but that was a minor complaint. So let's talk about the comedy. Mm. Uh, you know, this isn't a bit-based film. No, 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 no. It's just, it's just, it's a comma comedy with a storyline, and it's got some dramatic elements to it. Very so, light. so uh, what would you say the funniest moment? I know we can't call them bits. Funniest moment or moments of the film was the funniest you. bits. Well, I mean, the one you got to chuckle out of. I mean, I mean that opening sequence I used. I thought that was pretty funny. That was pretty good. He's pretty quick on his feet. I uh, I enjoyed when um, Chris and uh, Doctor Hathaway are meeting in his office, and Hathaway threatens to flunk him out of his final. I guess it must be the final physics course, for yeah, the physics program, right. and. Uh, and Chris goes, um, if you think you can uh, threaten me to get me to do what you want to do, you're right. Yeah, and then he goes, but right. I do want to tell you that there's a lot of decaf copies on the market that taste That's just right. as good as... I thought, that was pretty, I thought that was pretty funny, sort of a weird non sequitur. You know, whoever, whoever wrote the Chris Knight lines for this film <clears throat> had to have a little bit of a stand-up comedy background, I would think. Because there's some pretty good one-liners in this film. And uh, like my favorite is, um, I want to see more of you in the lab. I'll gain weight, you know, stuff like <laughs> That's that. That's funny. Yeah. 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 Uh, there, there's just a, you know, and even the ones that don't, don't have punchlines, like, uh, are you going to the final? It's like, well, I guess I'll go seeing that Dr. Hathaway has gone to the bother of, bother of having one and all, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I just, I kind of love that crap. So. Yeah, and, they, they, and uh, let's see what, what else was funny. Well, I love that Chinese character. What the hell was his name? Oh man, uh, uh, I, what was he? Um, Act or something? Act? Oh, I was yeah. gonna say, uh, uh, what was it? Gizmo from the Goonies. Who was yeah. that one kid? Was it that same actor? No, but it was like Ick. the same. His name was Ick. Oh, Ick. Yeah, yeah. What was that? What was the? What was the name of the Chinese kid in uh, Goonies? <clears throat> I don't remember. Did we do Goonies? Yeah, we, we did, did Goonies. Did we? He was like, yeah. he he was like this. I mean, it was the same sort of mid eighties smart Asian kid stereotype. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, fuck, I forget his name. I'm looking now, slowing it all down. Data 
His name was Data. Get no, it? that is really not very inspired. Yeah. Right. And I never yeah. realized there's another Star Trek Next Generation connection. That's two for the podcast. Data? What? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Data. Mm-hmm. That was the name of the Android. He, and Data also had a laser pulse. <clears throat> we, uh... <laughs> it's, in my, it's in my Star Trek Next Generation technical guide. I can uh, fax that. Uh, it's the X-rated version. It was really a revolution in stereotypes where we went from Asian kids to androids in the 90s. Mm-hmm. With the, uh, you know... And don't and then think about it. In twenty years, somebody will look back and go, "That android representation is so racist in Star Trek: Next Generation." I know. Yeah, because I mean, you know, my best buddy's an android, and they're called they've an legal- artificial person, by the way. They've legalized android marriage, so oh. I don't know what the deal is. Oh my god, yeah. that would be a dream. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> They have. That's oh basically what you got in Japan these days. No, I think there's. No, I think there's, there's. 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 Uh, uh, you know, shut-in uh, dudes in in Japan who have uh, ordered their animatronic sex dolls, mm-hmm. uh, at least as good as they can get, and uh, are perfectly content. Right. No, I don't think so. I'm you need, that, you need the, the whole person, but you don't want to go through the work of actually developing a relationship. Yeah, that's 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 why I think that the Japanese are super. Yeah, but shit. Matt, there's more to relationships than sex. It's about not companionship and friendship. Not if you're like a Japanese like gamer twenty four seven. That is so who, racist. Who live in a? I, I was watching. Oh, I was watching. I was reading some bit on the news about these uh, Japanese. Uh, I don't know, young people that <clears throat> end up living in internet cafes. They have like basically um, coffins that they rent that just happen to have like a internet connection in it. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not. I mean, you're talking about sort of two disparate things. You're talking about capsule hotels, and then you're no, talking no, 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 no. You you were talking about these coffin things, but they they do have internet cafes where they have little stalls with like these yeah, that's really what nice I was recliners about. that you can rent right. for a few hours. It's like actually, yeah, well, it's, like, it's a common way to take a quick nap. In ten, well, they end in up the renting town. them for like days and weeks. Oh. And that's like where they live. I mean, so. um, I mean they, they got a built-in toilet, just like from Idiocracy. And uh, somebody knocks awesome. on the door, you go, oh, "Busy baiting." <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they got the baiting channel running twenty-four-seven <laughs> in the stall. Ow, my balls! Yeah, for the folks that can't afford the animatronics to sex doll, they're just you know, whatever. Where'd we get off? <laughs> I don't know where we the got internet off on cafe? this topic. Well, I was hoping we'd. Yeah, I don't know. I was hoping we had like some more meat on the bones talking about this movie. Oh, but I mean, now uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I mean I'm not sure what uh, what you're hoping for. Uh, I, I thought that uh, it was. I thought it was a nice. I thought it was a fun movie, and uh, you were talking up how you know great uh, um, the Chris Knight portrayal uh, by Val Kilmer is, and it's awesome. He plays a great well, character. I, th- I thought I thought it's a nice story, and I forgot. How much I like Laszlo as the character, the character of Laszlo. I really oh, yeah. enjoy <clears throat> him, and um, I think he's a, I think he's a really interesting character. A sort of mute that lives in the walls, and yeah, I think he was like the golden boy from the seventies. He and, burned uh, out, brain and, fried, and um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed. He was a little bit of um. I know, sort of the silent Bob of this movie, where he comes in and yeah. lays, lays down the the deep. Uh, introspective meaning at the end and lets people know what you know what's going on and uh i thought, right. I thought that was pretty cool and how he's really happy in the end he the uh what's her name uh sherry 
that was yeah, the yeah. genius she's been wanting to screw all these years and she <laughs> right. finally got him and he won all his prizes i think that's uh i think that's a great storyline and i really yeah I, it's i think those three characters with uh laszlo and mitch and chris i think that's a really neat little trio that are all based out of that one room well yeah and it it, it, it has sort of the character in all stages and consequences right i mean it, it, it that's kind of the deal the cautionary tale of laszlo and the uh emancipated character of chris knight and the uh young uh mitch mm-hmm. who could follow each path you know each one of those paths and that whole thing and yeah no it it, it made a very three-dimensional characters mm. in a movie that necessarily didn't need to have them no no i think i think there's a lot of depth of these characters and i thought they were interesting i thought they were struggling with real issues that a lot of people struggle with and uh i mean i thought you know on top of it being funny i thought i thought it had a lot of heart and i I enjoyed that i think as a young man uh speaking personally here who who decided to go into the the hard sciences uh i enjoyed this movie because of i guess the chris knight sort of you know you can be a cool dude and uh, be into, you know, the hard sciences and really be into that stuff and not be called a nerd and, you know, sort of get checks and that whole deal. I, I know it sounds silly, but when you're like a, a 16, 17-year-old kid like like I was watching Real Genius, it sort of helped you out a little bit, you know? It, it, made, it made you, like, you could look, be a cool dude and, look, and, and still nerd out, you know? Pole and tail has almost no relationship to your intelligence. It is a separate skill set that you have or you don't have. And you can be as dumb as a rock and pull tail like crazy. And you can be a goddamn genius and pull tail like crazy. And the inverse. Uh, They are not connected to each other. I'm with you. That's that's really bizarre, isn't it? it? um, There's some sort of evolutionary decoupling in, in attraction. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that intelligence really is a I don't think it comes into the primitive calculus of 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 attraction, sexual right. attraction. Right. I think right. it does like, for, you know, I mean, maybe people who are of vastly different intelligence levels maybe wouldn't be very good long term, but I don't think it has much to do with getting down and dirty. Well, like Chris Knight might be uh an extrema of um like Dr. Feynman you know, if you've read the Dr. Feynman biographies, he has a great one. Uh, or autobiographies. What is it? Surely you're joking, Dr. Feynman. Mm-hmm. I, I, I recommend everybody read it. But Dr. Feynman was on the um, Manhattan Project. Yeah. And came up with QED or quantum electrodynamics. Yeah, this is the most and famous thing. His seminal uh, lectures in physics is sort of a, you know, must have yeah, for the aspiring physics a, students. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in that book. And he liked women. He, Oh boy, did he! Mm-hmm. He he he, he just loved the appetite. fuck out of women. <laughs> he was uh yeah man, and he had a whole bit in that book about getting tail, you know, and uh, about his he he was I think his wife had had passed away, and he was sort of on the prowl, mm-hmm. and he was talking about this game that he was playing, and part of it was that you know any he was like any he figured out any time he bought a woman something she wouldn't have sex with him. Mm-hmm. He had to not buy stuff for a chick. So it was like the promise of buying something for him sort of tugged him along. And he encountered this one really attractive girl and was trying to woo her. 
and she just lost interest in him and you know over the evening or the day or two and he couldn't figure it out he's like what the fuck did i do <clears throat> and then he remembered he picked up her tab at a cafe mm. and he's like there i go there i there i the rule got broken and that's why i didn't get laid you know he was trying to empirically break it apart mm-hmm. like a scientist it was sort of funny mm-hmm. uh, but he was a he was a caltech professor and uh, he was kind of i guess in in sort of the best known i guess in the media as the guy who figured out what happened to the was it the columbia the challenger oh yeah he headed up that investigation that's right yeah uh, which was sort of a fig leaf that the uh, nasa put over the whole fact finding but he took it serious and he found mm-hmm. out that uh, <clears throat> an o-ring uh, i guess froze and didn't seal one of the solid boosters mm-hmm. which caused it to vent and blow um, but anyway, uh, he he was sort of a personality, I guess. He was sort of a Chris Knight-like personality. And uh, his experiences, I guess, didn't have to, wasn't hobbled, so to speak, by his intelligence. So you're right. It doesn't really matter. It's strange that mm-hmm. way. So he used to interview, uh, I guess, uh, prospective faculty at strip bars. That was one of his deals. Classy. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he used to draw them. That was one of his things. He used to sketch strippers. At least that's what he told his wife. But, yeah. I'll he, tell you, um, <clears throat> strip clubs always have seemed like terrible places to me. I don't I don't remember having a good experience in one. No, I don't either. I don't, I don't but, know you what know, kind of guy I mean, he, would just like to hang out there. I guess, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know, maybe, I guess... You know, just get a booth. How is it different from any other bar, I guess? Well, he knew all the strippers, and he just liked it, and he liked titties, and he liked mm-hmm. looking at them, and, mm-hmm. you know, can't blame him. Oh, really. that's right. It's pre-internet. Yeah, man. <laughs> that was his That was his internet. It was like to go to the strip bar for an hour or two, and, you know, whatever. Uh, that's funny. Uh, well, hey, um, how about we go check out a review and uh, see if there's any additional insight given by that? Roger Ebert reviewed Real Genius on August 7th of 1985, giving it a pretty good uh, three and a half out of four. Yeah. Um, he uh, summarizes the plot a bit here, and then he talks about... Um, Real genius allows every one of its characters the freedom to be complicated and quirky and individual. Uh, Going on to say that's especially true for the Jordan character. He does go on to compliment Martha Coolidge, uh, who made Valley Girl. Uh, He says that movie being one of the best and most perceptive teenage movies. Have you seen Valley Girl? Oh, yeah. I've seen it multiple times. And then he goes on just to talk about her treatment of characters. He says, what I like best about her, Martha, is that she gives her characters the freedom to be themselves. They don't have to be John Belushi clones or frat jocks or dumb co-eds. They can flourish in all of their infinite variety as young people with a world of possibilities and a lot of strange, beautiful notions. Real Genius contains many pleasures, but one of the best is its conviction that the American college campus contains life as we know it. Maybe that's uh, what we were trying to get at this whole time. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, the, the sort of decoupling of stereotypes that uh, 
this this film seems to do justice to, especially with sort of smart, you know. Well, we were science. talking about we were talking about it last week. That I mean, yeah. we'd remember for this movie is that it wasn't nerds as nerds; it was curious weirdos, right? Exactly. Which is more the, these really intelligent people are that they're curious and they're they're a little weird probably because of that, and their intelligence allows them to go places that. You know, the more mundane mind, such as mine, wouldn't go. Which kind of makes me hate Big Bang Theory even more. Because it, uh, it it takes, like, really, I would call them almost antiquated stereotypes of, I guess, uh, you know, the physics mind. And uh, just sort of kind of pumps them up into caricatures mm-hmm. and it's 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 they're they're it's bad somewhat writing. Too, yeah, it's bad writing and they're somewhat two to, to two-dimensional characters people, and people love it well and the other problem i noticed and i i, I pick apart the show now because i don't really like it that much anymore but they dress the characters up in the same outfits every single show perfect you know like they, they can't even deviate from that level of uh, mold. Look, you know, that they, you know that they're afraid to to alter those mm-hmm. characters in such a way that they can't even physically alter their wardrobes. They're, I know, they're dressed see, in the same out, exact man. thing. In Star Trek Next Generation, Jean Luc would uh, you know put on something blousey every once in a while I when know. he was kicking back, and I appreciate. He would get that. into the holodeck and put on a pirate shirt and fucking go nuts. Mm-hmm. It was nice uh, or to something see. gauzy when he went to the uh, sex recreation planet during that one episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or when he uh, attempted to, I guess, masquerade as a simple uh, interstellar peasant and had like that tunic on for the whole episode. I don't remember that one? How about when he went home to visit his brother's vineyard in France? Yeah, right. Assuming the Earth still has an atmosphere to have a vineyard, you know, all that good stuff. They figured out all the problems, man. It's the 26th. I know, that's right. That's right. It's supposed to, what does they call it? Post scarcity, scarcity, mm-hmm. yeah. Post scarcity world of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I know, very utopian. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with Ebert on this. I think he, he kind of hit the nail on the head. And uh, the um, the other part that I thought was funny that we didn't talk about Hathaway too much, and the fact that he uh, is running a scam, strangely, with the Defense Department by. I didn't see how it was a scam. I, I, I he was uh, well, he I guess was he was he siphoning was, off grant money, but. Yeah. Uh, That's a tried and true academic uh, pastime. Siphoning off grant money for personal gain? Sure. Well, I, I beyond your salary, I don't. If think personal any gain way to is do a it. sack full of horribly mutilated mouse carcasses. Oh yeah, I suppose. Right. I mean, uh, well, look, makes a nice stock. No- it makes a nice soup stock. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it grows right. in the dark. Um, you know, I had a feeling about Hathaway is that um, he wasn't really a very good scientist. That um, he didn't have know, a great fundamental understanding of his lasers. That he really couldn't guide that work at all because he simply wasn't that gifted. He was more of a he was more of a con man. I mean, sure, I'm sure he had some he had a PhD in physics, but look, you can get a PhD in physics and not be the sharpest tool in the shed. Shit, man. They almost gave me one if that's any indictment. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, I, but he did have a, you know, a nice smile and he had sort of a TV. So I think he was really just masquerading 
and he would bring the brightest minds in to actually get the work done because the, as much as he could do was maybe put the paper figures together and that was about the limit of his ability he didn't have any great insight well that and he was probably bumping up into 40 and after like 35 uh, your yeah. golden era of 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 changing the world scientifically mm-hmm. i think's over right it, yeah, it's pretty much. Well, you have to. That's that's why you always have to bring the young blood and the bright minds to argue with you. I think uh, twenty seven is the magical age, just like it is for dead rock stars. I, I think there's something about that age, like a young minted PhD, mm-hmm. who uh, all their great work is going to occur in their late twenties, mm-hmm. maybe their early thirties. But past that, I don't think much is going to come out of you. Uh, I haven't really seen it. You know, it wasn't no, my experience. I, I don't think, I mean, if you are very productive before that, you can maintain that for quite a while. But uh, yeah. you're not really going to, if you haven't revolutionized stuff, you probably won't. And I've met uh, a few Nobel laureates in physics mm-hmm. and uh, brilliant people, but all that shit happened when they were very young. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in fact, one of my uh, professors in grad school uh, who passed on. He was sort of like a really smart Homer Simpson. He looked like Homer Simpson, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, he was a Harvard PhD. And I was flipping through one of my modern physics books, and I found his name in the index. And it was like the Pound Rebke experiment. His name was Glenn Rebke. And I was like, Pound Rebke, that can't be. Real modest dude. And, uh, you know, never, never would tell you that in polite company. And I actually looked it up, and it was the it proved it was the experiment that proved gravitational red red sh- red shifting. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, and he did oh. it in at Harvard back when, hmm. uh, and he got close to being nominated, or maybe he was nominated, but he was the experimentalist, and the actual theoretical guy got the. Uh, actual the P, the nobel laureate mm. so came very close mm-hmm. uh, but was not at all uh he would quip about theorists every now and then but he didn't have like a big chip on his shoulder maybe he did but didn't show it so the practical guys always get the short end of that uh stick the thing I, I i realized about very smart people i wouldn't say geniuses but very smart people in in the sciences and this has been my experience maybe not yours but they're usually the nicest people in the room hmm. and usually some of the more modest people in the room. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. Been my I mean, experience. My experience has been that somebody's ability in their field of expertise is in no way related to their personality. Those two, well, those two, I wouldn't those be so two sure. things are uncoupled. Well, it hasn't been my experience. Hmm. I would say that the egotistical sort of Dr. Hathaways of the world – if you put me in a room, I would say that guy hasn't done shit. Yeah, I'd say maybe he may be smart. Like he may be smart, but he is no genius. Mm-hmm. And it's because the people that are really fucking smart don't need to tell the world that. They kind of know. It's sort of this. This. <laughs> I, no, I think I think he probably has something. He has something. There's something to be said about that. It, there's sort of an inner esteem, uh, inner self-esteem, that puts them beyond needing to assert their. Uh, station mm-hmm. and and that's why i always like whenever i'm like i had a professor that was very mellow and and i was like this guy's really fucking smart like i can always tell a smart person in the scientist like i work with a guy like that he's the nicest dude in the world uh will always sit down with you if you don't 
quite understand something and doesn't treat you like an idiot. Um, just, just the nicest guy in the world. And he's the smartest motherfucker at my company that I've met, mm-hmm. you know, and I've met a lot of egotistical fucks in my company, but, uh, he's the smartest dude I know in mm-hmm. the company and he's the most modest, nicest person. So that's my experience. I don't know if it's tr- necessarily true. I'm sure there's some asshole smart people, but well, I think generally people tend to be nice. Egotistical bastards are a bit of an outlier on their own. Uh, maybe, mm. maybe. I, I, I've ran into a few of them, a lot of them, and uh, I always, I always think they're compensating for their, mm. their lack of genius. Mm. But, well, yeah. I think that uh, I think you may have something there. But that may be that seems to be the case with Doctor Hathaway in this film. I think you're right on that one. Yeah, I don't think so. he's a great theorist. Uh, no, no, he he may have done something great when he was young to get his tenure. And uh, he may know how to work grants and, mm-hmm. you know, get get uh, get some work from the de- Department of Defense. But, yeah. That, well, I think they actually have... show it in one of the, the first scene with him is where uh, he goes to that science fair and uh, Mitch is talking to him about his theory about, you know, something some element of the lasing material. And right. he just sort of changes the conversation when he gets technical. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I don't yeah. think he's following it. <laughs> Probably isn't. Yeah. Lasers are hard, man. They're hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. I'm here to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, anything else with uh, Real Genius that, uh, you know, uh, stands out or is worth talking about? Are you uh, trying to stretch this for some particular reason? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Uh... It's worth, no, no. <laughs> I'm just trying to trying to throw some something out there. I uh, if it, if it comes to me, it'll come to me later, I guess, and uh, uh, it'll be Kent? lost to time. Can't talk about Kent. Nah, you know, I don't know. He was probably the least interesting character in the movie. Just sort of a bit of a Judas character. Yeah, and I didn't think it was very interesting. I thought the thing with the the kid, I found the stuff with the braces and the radio and the masturbation joke to be funnier. And you know me, I don't joke about, I don't make penis jokes. I no, mean, Mark, Mark I strictly, became an adult no. and I put those childish things behind me. So right. it didn't really speak to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. Even now, I thought that was funny. Talking about uh, Jesus talking himself. to him. Yeah, no. Look, it was, a, it was an inventive little thing. I didn't like the character very much. I mean, no. not so much that he was a dork. And I mean, he was sort of a, he was sort of a, sh- a shitheel. Uh, I just think I didn't think the character was very believable, and of all the characters in this movie, that one rang terribly false to me. Uh, he was a total clown. I mean, he was the the film clown. Yeah, and... I just didn't. I didn't think it was really congruous with the movie, though. I think it was redeemed at the end a little bit. Well, they tried. They they actually cared for Kent. They didn't mm-hmm. want him to burn up in a yeah. house full of popcorn and so there suffocate. Was, and all that yeah, there stuff. was more to it near the end. Which I and he had his, like, his dicky hanging out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he was brought end. down low. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Which is fine. He deserved it. Uh, let's see. Oh, I, I, he did exactly what I would do if I heard voices in my head. I would start looking up the uh, definition and, and diagnosis of schizophrenia. Yeah, that would be quite scary. I think we're both past the age where we develop schizophrenia. You know, I, I, I had a, a weird moment couple weekends ago in in my neighborhood i kind of live down from a hill and i hear a lot of noises like because of the echoing of the houses and whatnot 
And so I'll hear like a voice that I think's closer than it is. And so it was just one of those nice days where everybody was out and I was hearing a lot of shit. And I swear to God, like somebody said something in the neighborhood so clearly that I actually mm-hmm. responded to it. And I was like, uh, no, I'll be right out. Like I was in the backyard or something like that. And then I walked out to the front. And there's fucking nobody. And Rose wasn't here. And I was like, what the fuck? And I, I like got really worried and thought I was turning schizophrenic. And then I remember that really those diagnoses are in the late th- 20s and not now. But anyway, it freaked me out a little bit. Well, you can still have brain injuries that can bring it along. Yeah, I, I didn't get hit on the head that day. So it was Well, you cool. could just have a, a <coughs> piece of vasculature rupture. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that shit. Yeah, hit you anytime. Goddamn. I thought I had a retinal tear the other day, too. <laughs> did you? Maybe I'm turning in. You should go maybe see I'm your turning uh, into a, I did. I did. Good. Well, it's because my prescription's bad, but I also asked him about that. He's like, yeah, it's oh, funny thing funny back there. Why? Oh, you had a bad prescription. That's right. You were telling me you were having some Yeah, that's why I was not wanting to see the Mad Max well, did they? Did they just get it wrong? Your yeah. No, well, I kind of fucked up. Uh, they had changed my prescription. And I went into LensCrafters, which I, I won't do again, mm. and you know demanded is like, well, just give me what I have now. And I didn't realize that I, that the prescription on file isn't what I have now. So I got the the, the distance lenses. You and know, it so, doesn't make any sense because they shouldn't be able to. F- those prescriptions have a two year sunset on them. No, no, no. It was within the window, but there was multiple prescriptions. There was like oh, you have a reading a bifocal. And a you know intermediate and and I just pointed at just give me the one that's closest to the one I have now. Oh. I was just being kind of a oh so you basically kind of got reading dick. glasses as your distance glasses. No, I got distance glasses as my normal glasses, so I couldn't. Well, hold on, that, well, that shouldn't that wouldn't have that wouldn't have affected your movie watching because that's basically at infinity for your. Well, eyes. no, the the issue was is that I stare at computer screens all day. Mm-hmm. And so the eye strain was Oh, it was intense. giving you eye strain, I see. And yeah. so at the end of a day, like, my eyes are screaming, mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to have to deal with the 3D movie well, don't on top you, of it. Don't you have two pairs, one for driving and then one for staring at computers? I, I'm getting a new pair for staring at computers. That's what, that's what, that's what Grandpa Mark does here. He's got a pair really? for the computer okay. and a pair, for, okay, uh, pair for everything else. I'm in your league. Yeah, no, I so got bad. you see me here. I got my distance glasses sitting here, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm getting getting old. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm going your route. I I don't know why my bravado and my my youthful vigor uh, <laughs> overshadowed what what uh, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the laws gonna, of aging are telling you me back in that deep windowless closet you're working in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bringing it full circle. Yeah, no, I I I, I yeah, no, I could I could walk in with my bunny slippers literally to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't even get a response from anybody because there's nobody around me. Mm-hmm. So you should you should start working naked. You know, it is strange. I, Let's I just do say go, I may or may not have done that one time. I do go into my office, quote unquote, uh-huh. and uh, I realize that there's only like two or three people that actually could stop by my desk at any uh-huh. one uh-huh. point of, period point of the day, mm-hmm. and of course they don't. And there's no way anybody could like surprise me because they have to get through my door which mm-hmm. is almost impossible mm-hmm. and i was like you know i could just like pull a george costanza and like sleep under my desk you know take a nice long nap and, uh, you know 
Um, what, what budget are you going to charge that nap to? Well, see, then then my Puritan work ethic kicks in, and I feel totally <laughs> guilty, and like I can't do it, even though I'm not even being observed for my entire day, and there's no way anybody could observe me and so all just, this stuff. You just go back to sort of half-assing it for a couple hours. I just like, oh <laughs> yeah, I go back into this little, you know, this little game you play with yourself, trying to. <laughs> Trying to, you know, like you want to leave work thinking you were productive that mm-hmm. day and mm-hmm. you don't want the guilt and the shame. So make a list with all the things you need to get done and put a couple of really easy ones on there. So at least when you get done at the day, there's a couple of lines crossed out. I I try that. Like I go, oh, I'll go write this email I have to uh-huh. write. And mm-hmm. then I feel like I did something for that hour, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when I'm spaced out and just not feeling it. <laughs> uh, motivation, that that's, a, uh, that's a tough part of... Uh... Of the human mind. Very important part. I know. I don't know how I got to that point. I mean, there's some people that would have my job and they just like go in there and read a whole novel during the day. But I'm, I'm, I'm. Look, if you need a day off, just take a, take a me day. Take a, uh, take a uh, sick day. Yeah. Usually my sick days are involving another six person these days. So it's not as fun as they used to be. (laughs) I'm sure they're not. They're actually (laughs) dealing with sickness. No, it's more like uh, clocking in at the uh, doctor's know. office. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's good to have sick leave. You know, it's, there's no law requiring it, so it's uh, nice that we both have jobs that give us that. No, that's why Mark and I are moving to Scandinavia at the end of the month. Why and, for more uh, paternity leave? For just yeah, all that shit. I don't know. I got tons of sick leave at work. What? Come on, come come by my house once a week. I'll get you fucking sick. I don't like. I don't want to. Be You'll be guilt free. I'm happy that shit. just going to work and not not having colds. I wouldn't, you know. And be quite honest, if you're having a nasty cold. It's like, is that really going to get me not to go to work? Am I going to go into convenience no. everybody I'm working with just because I feel like shit? I'm just going to have to work sick. Is what having a cold means. And that's what I do because yeah. I'm trying to save sick days for the other human being in my house that actually Look, gets sick and can't. pack him in cold sand pack him in cold sand put a straw up the both nostrils off to work you go um, all right again you'll have to come by my house and give me some uh i'll send a couple you know, of the guys by they got some good tips for you all right bringing it full circle here with uh mark's jihadist daycare <laughs> all right it's a good idea i think, uh, I think got sure i guess i mean taking it's, care uh, taking care of isis kids well uh uh, somebody has to, right? I mean, uh, oh, you mean like because their their uh, their older brothers and sisters are at war? Yeah, I mean, who's taking? You know, uh, you know, you could probably make an argument for that. I um, mean, some That's, sort of NGO organization to go into ISIS held territories and help them with their child and with their child care. I mean, it's a worldwide issue, child care. I would not want to be a member of that NGO. <laughs> No thanks. I'll take a pass on that one. Right, especially when the, uh, the, the 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 kids go Lord of the Flies on you. You know, you don't want that shit happening. Look, you day. can't trust the parents, and you can't trust the kids. I know. You, well, you really can't trust kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't trust the parents, which I'm sure you couldn't, you're not going to trust their kids. They'll, 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 they'll do a number on you. I don't even want to know. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, that's it for Real Genius. Fun movie, a lot of heart, and funny at the same time. Good. This is a solid 80s movie, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. it's, a, it's a good one. And I think it doesn't seem particularly dated. Not really. I think it's although just because the characters are so well written. Although everybody's studying like I used to study just with books and paper. I don't think they do that anymore. But. 
Oh, yeah. You know, I have learned some new study techniques since being in school the last couple of quarters. I do a lot of PowerPoint stuff. Yeah. I make a yeah. lot of like, uh, like instead of like pages of notes, I'll have like a PowerPoint page with like the summary. Seems easy. You just flip. I can, you know, the thing is you can flip through that shit on your phone. You put it on Google Drive and you can just like study your notes anywhere. I know. It's pretty that awesome, like, actually. Totally powerful. And then you could just you drop images in there. You take pictures yeah. of stuff. You grab stuff off the internet and you throw it right in with your notes. It's actually pretty nice. Well, and you can type faster than you can write. So if you're taking notes, oh yeah, it's yeah. got to no. be tons easier. Oh yeah. Oh, f- well, my handwriting has gotten so bad. I think there might be something wrong with me. My handwriting has gotten so bad. I don't know, man. I it's it's all the drugs you're taking. I have been drinking too much coffee. I think it's starting yeah. to affect yeah, me. You should. Should switch to decaf. They're just as tasty as the normal brands. <laughs> oh boy! All of a sudden, this is turning into a Seinfeld episode. Okay, right, so let's wrap uh, this shit up. Next week, uh, we're continuing my comedy thing, and of course, mine are always broad comedies, not these delicate, nuanced comedies like Real Genius. So uh, next week, I'm going back into the modern day uh, to visit 19. What is this? Oh, this is 2001. 2001's Ben Stiller's Zoolander, which is a favorite comedy of mine, and I think probably fits under that broad comedy definition. There's a, a little bit of a, uh, I mean, the storyline is is absurd. Yeah. Well, right? it, it, it it's pre 9 11, so it is era specific because mm. uh, I remember seeing the two towers and at least one of those shots. Is there the t- oh yeah, that's right. They're across they're across the across uh, from Manhattan Island. Is, yeah, do you see the twin towers in there. I think you do. I think it was a more innocent time there on Zoolander. Hmm. You know, so, uh, yeah. No, it's a great film. Uh, great cameos, you mm-hmm. know, with uh, Will Ferrell and David Bowie. Oh, yeah. So. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff in there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That's the next comedy. All right. So uh, next week is Zoolander. Until then. I think the young people enjoy it when I get down verbally, don't you? 